Verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed, and the visions of my mind were alarming me. I approached one of those standing nearby and asked him about the meaning of all this. So he spoke with me and revealed to me the interpretation of the vision. Now, this is... You're like, oh, yes. Now we're going to find out exactly what these beasts are and everything. And you read it, and you're like, oh, okay, God. That didn't seem like it was worth the space. Now, I'm not trying to say God messed up, but that's just kind of like what I feel when I read it. So he spoke to me and revealed the interpretation. Verse 17, these large beasts, which are four in number, represent four kings who will rise from the earth. The holy ones, or angels of the Most High, will receive the kingdom, and I will take possession. Now, the holy ones here can also refer to Israel. It's not very common that Israel is called the holy ones because they don't really act like that. But there are a few pieces, places, and it does kind of seem to fit the context here that they will receive the kingdom. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast. Now, you know that Daniel was really messed up by this vision and really confused about the Son of Man because he never asked any questions about the Son of Man. That, in my opinion, is like the strangest thing. I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which is different from the others. It was very dreadful with two rows of iron teeth and bronze claws, and it devoured, crushed, and trampled anything that was left with its feet. I also wanted to know the meaning of the ten horns on its head, and that of the other horn, which came up out before the other, which had eyes, and a mouth speaking arrogant things, whose appearance was more formidable than the others. While I was watching, that horn began to wage, wage war against the holy ones and was defeating them. That's Israel. Until the Ancient of Days arrived and judgment was rendered in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. Then the times came for the holy ones to take possessions. So Daniel adds something here that this beast is actually specifically a targeting the Israelites. Verse 23, this is what he told me. The four beasts means that there will be a fourth kingdom on earth. Already know that. That will differ from the other kingdoms. We know that. It devours all the earth and will trample and crush it. The ten horns mean that the ten kings will rise from that kingdom. Another king will rise after them, but he will be different from the earlier ones. So the only thing this is really adding so far is really specifically mentioning that the horns really do represent kings. But we could have realized that because a horn, horns are symbolic of power and authority. And this is why crowns of kings have horns on them because they're connected to authority. So in the ancient world, you would see kings, and they would actually put ram's horns on the side of their heads on coins, because that's their way of saying, I am powerful, I'm dominant, because horned animals are really scary when they come charging at you, and they're very powerful. So I communicate my power and my dominance by putting ram horns. You can actually see it was um, Caesar and, 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 and Alexander III. They actually put them on their head. But then the halo became associated with divinity and God because of the sun. And so they would turn the sun and put it hovering over their heads like a halo because that meant I'm a God. And then eventually over time, the horns merged with the halo and became what we know as a crown. So the crown actually represents I am the divine authority of the world. Now, of course, when we get to the medieval period, they're not willing to really say that because the Pope rules. So they'll just say, I have divine authority given to me by God. But we all know the way they act. They really thought that they were that great. So that's what the crown represents here and how it came about. And so that's what the horns represent. They're kings. He will speak words against the Most High. He will harass the Holy Ones of the Most High continually. His intentions will be to change the times established by the law. 
Now this he adds, his intentions are changed the laws of Israel. And he did. He removed all the festivals. He made them illegal. He did away with the sacrificial system. He brought sacrifices to a pagan god there. They will be delivered into the hand. Titus never did that. He never changed the laws of the land. For a time, times, and a half time. Now, this is used throughout the Bible to refer to three and a half years. Now, what's interesting is that Antiochus' desecration of the temple literally lasted for three years and ten days. This is three and a half years. But we all know that numbers are never exactly precise in the Bible. Not that God can't get his numbers right, but because numbers are usually more metaphorical and usually rounds them out. Like every time it says there were like 75,000 people in Judah and there were 48,000 people in Simeon and there were 55,000 people in Reuben. Really? Every single tribe got exactly to the right like round number in the like the hundreds? No, because they're rounding them up. And so this is more of a round number. But the court will convene and his ruling authority will be removed, destroyed and abolished forever. The kingdom, authority, and greatness of the kingdom under all of heaven will be delivered to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. All authorities will serve him and obey him. And this is the conclusion of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts trouble me greatly, and the color drained from my face. What he saw was horrific. But I kept the matter to myself. Meaning, I don't even know what to do with this. So you can see the angel didn't really add much. The two major things that are really added to this is the fact that this, these horns are going to directly, specifically target Israel. And that they're literally going to try to undo the law of God, erase God, erase his festivals. And that's the main point. And Tychus IV literally came in and he specifically targeted the Jews and he literally tried to erase the religion of Yahweh. He forbid sacrifices. He forbid the festivals from celebrating. He forbid the, from them celebrating the Sabbath. And he forbid the law from being read, read publicly in any kind of a way. And probably if he had Alexa or Google Home, he would have forbid it from happening in your house as well because he would always have been listening. He literally tried to erase the religion. Titus never did that. Titus defeated Israel and briefly declared himself God, but that's it. He didn't really target the Jews to wipe them out. And he didn't really target the religion to try to wipe it out. And this is why Titus really fits this way better. And Titus was never so influential in Israel's history that they've remembered it to this day. And Titus is still remembered to this day. Every time around December, they're remembering this horrible, horrific moment in their history and celebrating the deliverance. Now, when we get to the intertestamental history, we'll go into a lot more detail why, how Hanukkah connects to that and why they celebrate and all that kind of stuff. And so this is the point that God is making. Like I said, we've gotten very detailed and very specific on these beasts and how they match up with different kingdoms and that kind of stuff. But as we've looked at the prophets with Isaiah and Ezekiel specifically, God points out Assyria and Babylon and he makes it very clear as he's describing Assyria and Babylon that these nations are a typology of all nations yet to come. That what Assyria and Babylon is like is what 
Medes are going to be like, the Persians are going to be like, the Greeks, the Romans, the Anglos, the Saxons, the, the British Empire, the Mongols, the Ottoman Empire, the American Empire, the United Nations. They're all going to seek their own power and their own glory, and they're going to be willing to hurt and destroy lives in order to get that. And yes, I know that America has been better at not doing that than most nations in human history, but we do have a lot of graves as a result of us coming into power. And I don't mean just fighting the British, but I mean the Chinese, the American Indians, the, the, um, the blacks, just to build our empire and to build our wealth. And we have a history. And so this is what God is saying. It's a typology. And he does the same thing here. And when we get into the future prophets, the post-exilic prophets of Zechariah and stuff, they're going to carry this on. And they're going to say the same thing of Babylon and Persia and the Greeks, which implies that you really can truly say that all nations are really the same because they're all part of the same statue. They're all part of the same statue. They might be individual unique nations and the way that they're politically set up or how they're ruling, but all in all, it's just humans turned into beasts ruling and dominating the world. It's the kingdom of man. It's the kingdom of humans. And, and God doesn't talk about Jesus defeating all the nations in the book of Revelation. He talks about them de himself defeating Babylon. And Babylon doesn't literally exist anymore. But Babylon is a metaphor for the kingdom of humanity. The kingdom of humanity. In fact, in Revelation, he may, drives us home even more. In case you didn't realize that he's saying that humans become beasts when they no longer follow God and just feed their own natural desire to want to have power and to be selfish, he literally says it in Revelation. When he says that the beast rose up into power and it ruled over the world, and then he says the number of the beast is man. 666. I know we're often taught that the number of the 666 is the number of the beast, but the Bible literally says that the number of the beast is the number of man. And he says 666. Because seven is the number of completion, but six is one less of completion because man without God is incomplete. And we bring a false incomplete empire. We bring a false incomplete redemption. And so what God is saying here is, this is what we will all end up being if we feed our desires. And our desires are usually about power and control. And you're like, well, I don't have dreams of ruling the world. Yeah, but we still dominate our spouses and arguments. We still try to dominate our kids, and sometimes we've missed the point of discipling them, and we're just about trying to win the argument and make sure that they obey us. We still get in fights with our friends, and when we meet people that disagree with us, it's like, I'm right, okay? And, and we, we have that tendency in us. I never forgot this. One of my friends told me this. I think this is such a great statement. I Whenever humans are given power, they take it. There's only one human ever who was literally given all power, and he gave it up. And that's Jesus Christ on the cross. And I think that's a very powerful thing to realize, that the only being who really hasn't debased himself or herself into total beastliness is Jesus. He's the only one that really perfectly was the image of God. The only one who really ruled and subdued in the way that God wanted and then when he was given all power and authority, he gave it up 
and allowed himself to be killed for our sins of constantly seeking and hoarding and power. Because that's what sin is, autonomy. Oh God, you're so wrong. I'm not going to get wisdom from you. I think I can get wisdom my way and take it from the tree and I will become like a God. And that's our big problem. And God's saying, when you give people that much power over you, then they will devour you and rip you apart. And may not literally like Saddam Hussein or Hitler, but maybe in other ways emotionally, or your self-worth, or the ability to take care of your kids with political rules and laws and all that kind of stuff. They can't save you. They can't make America great again. They can't bring hope. They can't bring change. Can God use them in beneficial ways? Yes. But can they save us? No. Only Christ can. We need the God-man, the Son of Man. 